Psalm 147 is where we are at tonight. And uh, in the event that you are unaware, what am I doing up here? What's, where's worship? What's happening? Uh, we will have worship going on, uh, taking place in a few minutes. But uh, on this Wednesday night ser a, a series, what I've been doing is we're, we're going through a few psalms. And this will be the last Wednesday night. So we'll go through some psalms. Uh, we go through a psalm and then we get these instructions on how to worship, what the worship is supposed to look like. And then we go into worship after that so that we can put all of these things into practice. So that's how it works. We get the, we get the doctrine first and then the duty. So we learn the stuff and then we put it into practice immediately uh, rather than in reverse. Uh, so that's why I am up here. That's why we are going to have our study first. Psalm 147 is broken up into a few different sections. Uh, this is, um, now just so you know, Psalm 147, the last five psalms are known as the Halal Psalms. Halal is the original word, H-A-L-A-L, Halal. And uh, that's, we, we actually get our, our word hallelujah from that. Or praise the Lord, as you'll see here in just a minute. This, that's how this one opens up. But they're called the Halal Psalms because, as this one does, it starts with hallelujah or praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. Now, we'll get praise the Lord in between also. In fact, we'll get it four times tonight. So we get that command or that instruction, praise the Lord. This is what you need to do. And then for each of these sections, and let's see if we can get the... Um, See if we can get the breakdown up there. So you can see verses 1 to 6 is the first call. Verses 7 to 11 is the second call or the second praise the Lord. And then verses 12 through 20, we actually get two in there. But at each section, what happens is we get this call. And then for each call to worship, we'll get a cause to go along with that. In other words, it'll tell us why we should do that. Okay, so that's how it's going to be broken down. And we'll get into this in just a second but we should probably go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, we thank you that there's no school this week. Thank you that there's no school tomorrow. Thank you that we have an entire day set aside to worship you, to thank you. Now, we have seen over the last several years uh, a, a, a push by some people within society to to use tomorrow as a day of mourning, to talk about all the bad things that have happened in, the, in, our, in our country's history and our past. But we understand that regardless of whatever took place in the, in the past, in a sense, in a sense, it doesn't matter because the day is set apart to thank you. And that never gets old. There's nothing wrong with that. And so as we fix our minds tonight on Psalm 147, your word, and the, uh, the thought or the idea of being thankful. And as we head into tomorrow and we uh, spend the day with family and friends or, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're doing and we're thanking you, we pray, Lord, that you would help us, please, to have a thankful heart, to be thankful for all that you've provided for us, all that you've done. And so we commit our time to you now. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, please, through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name and amen. Okay, Psalm 147 uh, and the first call comes in verse 1, right in the first part of verse 1, real easy, three words, praise the Lord, or as I said, halal, or hallelujah, praise the Lord. So we're there. This is, this is a command, obviously. It's not a question. It's not a request. The, the writer is giving a command, but it's also not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily come across as a command, but as a call. 
This, the individual that's writing this is excited, want, and that's going to become apparent as we go through, but wants everybody to just like, let's all, let's all get together and praise the Lord. And so it's, it's not far from what we're doing here tonight. When we gather here on Wednesday nights each week, we are, it's not just us coming, but all, of course, everybody knows you're going to come here. You're going to see all your friends. And you get to hang out, spend time, but you also get to study together. You also get to worship together. So it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, let's go. Time to worship. Now, again, normally at this point, we would have Matt or our worship leaders up here to lead us in worship right now. And uh, somebody would stand up and say, hey, everybody, let's all stand. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to worship and let's pray. And there would be that call, like, stand up and let's go. Let's, let's sing to the Lord. Same thing here. Praise the Lord. And then he immediately, the writer immediately begins to give us the cause. Now, again, each one of these is going to be set up the same way. There's a call and a cause. The cause begins right in the middle of verse 1. Okay? Right in the middle of verse 1. First, we're told, praise the Lord. Then we're immediately told why. Here's the cause. It is because it is beneficial is what he's pointing out there. Now, he'll say three things. I just summed it up to say it's beneficial. But look what he says. For it is good to sing praises to our God. So it is a good thing. So we want to worship or praise the Lord because it is a good thing to sing praises to our God. Now, let me tell you what's missing, and I'm glad that it's missing. I'm glad that the verse does not read like this, for it is good to sing with a beautiful voice praises to our God. Or it is good to sing in harmony praises to our God. Because if that were the case, I might not be included. I'm not the greatest singer. So what I've done is, generally speaking, I'll sit up in front, right in front of the speakers, so that nobody can hear me. And then I'm free to sing. I don't have to worry about anybody listening. For it is good to sing praises. There's no qualifications there. It doesn't matter what you know social status you are or what the color of your skin is or you know your gender or your style of clothing or uh, it doesn't matter what degree of relationship you might have with the Lord. You know, are you like a really strong Christian or are you kind of struggling? You know, as a Christian, none of those things are, are they? None of those come into to play here. We're just told that all of us, or whoever it is that's listening, it's good to sing praises to our God. And so some of us struggle with that because we don't like to sing. And we go, well, you know what? I don't, I don't really like to sing because I don't have a great voice. I don't want anybody listening. I would say to you, we're told here to sing. It's a good thing to do to sing praises to our God. So if you don't want somebody hearing your voice, then come up to the front with me. And it uh, won't, won't matter to me. We won't be able to hear each other uh, because of the speakers. And uh, we'll just be able to sing our praises to God. Now, why is it good to sing praises to our God? For a couple of different reasons. And I think that the three things that I'll mention. Now, let me just go ahead and mention the other. In fact, I'll put them. Well, no, I'm sorry. I didn't put these up there. But it's good or it's beneficial. He tells us it's good to sing praises to our God. Then he tells us it is pleasant. And then he says that praise is beautiful. So he gives us three reasons within that one verse there why it's a good thing to praise the Lord. It's good to sing praises, it's pleasant, and it's beautiful. I think that all three of these things apply to both God and the individual singing. 
When I'm praising God, it's good for him. It blesses him. Because what I'm doing in my, in my song, especially if I'm using one of these psalms, but the songs that we use here also are pleasing to the Lord, I believe. When we're doing that, it's glorifying to him. So it's, it's good for him to, to hear our worship. But it's also pleasant for him to hear our worship. And praise, by the way, is a beautiful thing. Again, he doesn't say that it must be glorious praise and you've got to have an, you know, an opera voice. He doesn't say any of that. It's just singing, praising him. It's pleasant. It's beautiful. But also, it's beneficial not only for God, it's beneficial for us, for the singer. right? When I'm singing, when I'm praising God, that's a sweet time. That's a good thing. Especially when I understand, when I've, when I've got it settled in my mind that, hey, God is pleased with my singing right now. Matt might not be, but the Lord is, right? And so I might be sitting next to someone, and maybe they don't so much care for it. But in a sense, it really doesn't matter. Because what really matters is I'm singing to an audience of one, and that would be God. It's, it's beneficial for both God and for the singer, for me. Now, he gives us the first cause. It's because it's beneficial both ways. The second thing he does in verses 2 through 3, if you're taking notes, verses 2 to 3, he says it's, we, we want to praise the Lord because of his compassion. Because of his compassion, verses 2 and 3. Let's see what he says. He says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. Now, we do not know for sure, but it certainly would make sense if this psalm was written by or to or for the Jews who were coming back to Jerusalem from the diaspora, from being dispersed after having been attacked and removed from their own country. And now they're finally coming back. You know, if you go back to, you know, a book like Nehemiah, which is one of my favorites, you know, you find out about uh, the Jews that were gone. That's how the book of Nehemiah opens up. Nehemiah is asking about those who have returned. And you go, return from where? From captivity. And now they're back trying to build up Jerusalem again. So it makes sense. But look what it says here. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. And then here comes the compassion part. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Now, great news. It's not just the outcasts of Israel. Many of you have been with me on Sunday mornings as we've gone through Genesis and we're you know, working our way through, and we're now in Deuteronomy. And there's been several times throughout the Old Testament scriptures where we've heard God say something in reference to those who are outside of Israel, those who are strangers. We've read before that he has a heart. He cares for the stranger, for the outcast. So it's not necessarily just the outcasts of Israel. However, here the focus is on Jerusalem and the outcasts of Israel. But there's that compassion, that God has compassion on the outcasts. Isn't that great news? Because all of us probably, or at least many of us, have a hard time, you know, when, you, when you're just joining a brand new team, or you're at a, at a brand new school, or in a brand new class, or brand new neighborhood, or brand new youth group, you know, wherever you might be, and you always just kind of feel like, man, I don't really know anybody, and, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find out, like, do I fit in here, do I not fit in here? Good news, you always fit in with the Lord. He gathers the outcasts, and specifically here, the outcasts of Israel. But his compassion isn't over yet. Look at verse 3. 
He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I mean, this world is a heartbreaking world, isn't it? It's a heartbreaking world. This world can, there's a lot of beautiful things that happen, a lot of good things that happen. Obviously, the Lord works in this world, blesses us. But there certainly are lots of things that break our hearts. Relationships that end, right? Whether uh, by choice or uh, whether through death or whatever it might be. There's sickness. There's, there's all sorts of things that happen that can wound the heart. And the good news is that God heals the brokenhearted. He has compassion on them. You know, there are some people who see uh, brokenhearted people and they have no compassion on them. They feel like, oh man, you're weak. You know, especially if I would adhere to um, uh, evolution, then, then it's survival of the fittest. Then it's, you know, uh, eat the weak, you know, and just be rid of them. Then I'm not going to have compassion. But God, and, and of course, because we do not believe in, in, in uh, evolution, and we see the heart of God here in that he heals the brokenhearted. Now, I like that. He doesn't just feel bad for them. But he actually takes action and heals them. You and I, we can feel bad for somebody. And we can do our best to come alongside of that individual and uh, try to lift them up and encourage them. But, but when it gets down to it, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot that we can do about healing the heart. We might be able to help the healing process, assist them in that. But we can't really touch the human heart. We can't do anything about that. And yet God can. He heals the brokenhearted. And then we're told that he binds up their wounds. And so we don't have a humongous group here tonight. But even among this group, I'd be willing to bet that there's somebody in here with a broken heart tonight. Because, again, that's the kind of world that we live in. And we experience uh, things that break our hearts all the time. It's great news. Whatever might have happened, whether it was somebody that did it or some situation, whatever it is, great news he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. These are wonderful reasons to worship God. There's a third reason here, and that's because of his creation. Verses 4 through 6. Creation, verses 4 through 6. It says that he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Isn't that incredible? How many stars are there? We have no idea, right? We have no idea. We, we do not even know how many stars there are within our own universe, let alone outside of our universe. And yet we're told here that he counts them all and he calls them all by name. Isn't that a trip? Like, you, you wonder, what are the, how did he name all the stars? We do not know the names. We've named some of the stars, the stars that we can see or, or study, you know, through the, you know, with the naked eye or through a, a, a telescope. But we, we do not know, like, we're going to be in heaven, I think, and still finding out for eternity all the different stars and the names and all these different things. It's incredible. It goes on in verse 5 to say, Great is our God, or great is our Lord, and mighty in power. He must be, if he created all the stars, counted them all, named them all. He must be great, must be mighty in power. His understanding is infinite in that great news especially if you go back to the previous verse, verse 3, and you're brokenhearted. You know, when you're brokenhearted, you want to talk to someone, and you just want them to understand. They may not have the answer, 
but maybe they just understand. Or maybe you want to talk to somebody that's experienced what you're going through, and you just want them to understand. And we're told here that his understanding is infinite. He understands everything, understands the broken heart, understands all of this. Verse 6, still talking about creation. It says that the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. That, you know, we, we might have been able to put that in the previous section there where it had to do with the compassion part. But still, the humble, those are part of his, his creation, obviously. But this verse is wonderful. Again, the Lord lifts up the humble. Those that lower themselves, that's what it means to humble yourself. It means that you would lower yourself, says that the Lord lifts them up. And then he casts the wicked to the ground. So he reverses the order of things. You have the humble who are lowering themselves. You have the wicked that are lifting themselves up, promoting themselves. And eventually God will turn the tables so that those are opposite. Now, wild, what a wild thought that is, you know, because you, you, know, you go through your social media like I do, you know, keep up with pop culture and, you know, celebrities and who's doing what and coming out with new songs or new movies or, you know, who's whatever, all the different things that they're doing. And they seem to, there seems to be so many wicked people that are prospering. And you just think like, man, you know, what's up with that? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I be up in church. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live my life for the Lord and please the Lord. And then you have these people out here just living it up doing everything that's against the Lord, and they seem to be prospering. Well, God would say, yeah, they, they do seem to be prospering, but there will come a time where he will cast the wicked to the ground. He will reverse the order of things. That's what he does. That's what he does. He changes things. And so what we need to do in the meantime is trust him. Say, you know what? Hey, maybe those, those individuals are prospering right now, but listen, for the wicked... This world is the closest that they will ever get to heaven. For you and I as believers, this world is the closest we will ever get to hell. And so there are people that are all about this life. They seem to be prospering. Let Just let God do his thing. We don't need to hate them. Uh, we don't need to badmouth them. Just, hey, God, you, you, you do whatever you want to do. And, and there will come a time when he will reverse the order of things. Let's move on to the second call, which is verses 7 through 11. Verses 7 through 11 is where we get the second call. And here he says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. So this is the second call. Sing to the Lord, and when we do it, we should do it with thanksgiving. Again, there is the absence of any kind of style of singing. Uh, the condition of my voice or my vocal cords does not come into play here. We're just told that we should sing to the Lord and that when we do that, we should do that with thanksgiving. Now, that would be a key verse for us because these psalms, and we started with the first Wednesday night of this month where we had a night of worship and uh, we focused on thanksgiving and then we continued that with each of these psalms. And here we are again tonight, sing to the Lord, and when we do it, we should do it with thanksgiving. Thankfulness. You know, just, just being thankful. We forget that. What happens is, let me tell you how we, how we stop or how we lose being thankful. We, we get lost, we lose sight of being thankful when we start looking at all of the things that we do not have. When we start looking at our friends and like, well, you know, how come they have this and I don't have it? How come she has this and I don't have that? Why does their family have that and we don't have this? Why do they get to do this and we don't get to do that? 
So when we start looking at things that, oh, you know, other people get to do and we don't get to do that, then we begin to lose that thankfulness in our heart. And here he says, when you sing, you got to do it with thanksgiving. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday. Probably most of you were here. But, but what do we really have to be thankful for? If we're wondering, like, what, what do we really even have to be thankful for? And I mentioned a couple of the basics, a couple of just the basics. I was talking about tomorrow, Thanksgiving. A lot of you are going to sit down with grandma or you're going to sit down with mom and dad, whatever. And you might have a family member who says, hey, listen, you know, food's all spread out on the table, man. You're just ready to just dig in. And then somebody's like, somebody comes up with a bright idea. Hey, let's take a minute and just go around. Everybody tell us what you're thankful for. It's like, oh, man, but the mac and cheese is going to get cold. Can we just start eating and then tell, tell what we're thankful for? But somebody's, and at my house, it's usually me. <laughs> Hate that. Everybody go around. Let's tell us, you know, let's tell what we're thankful for. But, but when we do that, none of us is going to go, you know, I'm just so thankful that I've always had socks. Thank you so much, Lord, that I've always had chonies. These are not things that we think about. Lord, thank you so much that, you know, there's always been, you know, hot pockets. We don't think about those things. Because we, we are under the, the you know, we, we're of the mindset that, well, those are, just, those are just things that everybody has, you know, and those are just, that's a given. Well, not everybody has them. Maybe all of us have those things. But still, those are things that we can be thankful for. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have your Tesla yet, okay? But, you know, maybe there's coming a time when you will, right? And then you can be thankful for that then. But, you know, right now, you don't have to have a bad attitude about, like, oh, man, how can I, you know, why does my friend have a Tesla? We don't have a Tesla, man. You know, like, what's, what's, come on, Lord, bless me with a Tessie. You know, we don't, we don't, why, you know, what, we're always thinking about what we don't have. Well, he's saying here that when we sing, we should do it with thanksgiving. And then sing praises on the harp to our God. I love that. I love music. And here he's introducing, it's not just a, a acapella, it's not just, you know, let's all clap our hands. He introduces, let's bring in an instrument. Now, as you go on in the Psalms up to 150, you find out, he's like, bring in the clashing cymbals, bring the, you know, bring the lyre, bring the, all these different instruments. And it sounds so loud, which I like. Sing praises on the harp to our God. Not necessarily our version of, you know, rocking out, you know, harp, but still, it's introduce the, the instruments. In other words, there's, there's some music involved. Now, we get the cause for this call in verses 8 and 9. Verse, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the first one here is verses 8 and 9. Here's the cause. The first part is power over creation. We can praise God for his power over creation. He says in verse 8, who speaking about God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast, that's the animals, the wild animals, its food, and to the young ravens that cry. So God is maintaining, we're told here, creation. Maintaining creation. Now, this, this would go against the thought that God, you know, seven days of creation, you know, six days of creation, seventh day he rested, and then he just kind of like spun the earth and just, you know, ah, go take care of yourself. This here would go against that idea and that thought and that teaching. And here we're told that it's actually God that is maneuvering and, and maintaining and orchestrating even creation, power over creation. What a wonderful thought, 
But the God that we belong to, that loves us, is maintaining creation all around us. We don't think about those things. He, you know, the, the clouds, he covers the heavens with clouds. I love clouds. I love the cooler weather, you know. I, I love all of that. He prepares rain for the earth. Really? He prepares it for the earth? I thought it just randomly came. He makes grass to grow on the mountains, right? We're, we're going to be coming up, you know, the cooler season around here. All of the hills that we see around us, you know, they start to turn green, you know, before they turn brown, ugly brown again. But they go green and beautiful. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry, feeding all of the wild animals that are out there, you know. You ever been at, a, you know, um, in and out or, or, or at, a, a, you know, McDonald's or something, you know, and maybe you're out in the parking lot and you're trying to finish up your burger and then you see these little birds like eating the French fries or, you know, somebody's food that was left over. And then you're just like, man, I had to pay for that. And they just get it for free, you know. But the Lord, the Lord just providing for all of the animals everywhere. What an incredible thing. But he gives us another reason here in verses 10 and 11. Not only his power over creation, Look at this, his pleasure, for his pleasure. We can worship him, and it, and it pleasures him. It says in verse 10, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. These are instruments of war. The horse and then the legs of a man would be because they're marching. That's what he's referencing. God doesn't delight in those things. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Does it matter how strong your legs are? How much you can squat? Those things don't impress him. They might be useful to him in, in all reality. You know, to, to be healthy is a good thing because then it gives the Lord more to work with. But those are not things that, you know, excite him. But look at this in verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy they don't hope in the mercy of some military leader they're hoping in his mercy but you know if i were to tell you that hey listen uh wearing uh you know vans really pleases the lord and if we were to open our bibles and go oh look it says right there that the lord is pleased with those who wear vans all of us would go out and buy vans yeah man we'd clear out the stores right everybody would want to put on vans i want to please the lord he loves vans I don't know if Vans please him or not. I can't imagine he's impressed. I like him, but this doesn't mean anything. But, but here we're told what does pleasure him. Those who fear him. Now keep in mind, it's those who honor him, respect him, who love him. Who, I like this, those who fear, what does it mean to fear him? It means to be afraid to dishonor him. Afraid to dishonor him. I want to fear him. He takes pleasure in those people that do, but he also takes pleasure in those who hope in his mercy. I love his mercy. In fact, I love his mercies. Psalm 51, other places say that there's a multitude, he has a multitude of tender mercies. So when we sing tonight, it's a good verse to keep in mind here, verses 10 and 11. When we sing tonight, it's for his pleasure. It's not for anybody else's pleasure. Let's move on to the next call here beginning at verse 12 down to verse 20. This is our last section. He says, praise the Lord. There it is again, halal. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. 
Praise your God, O Zion. Then we're told this, verses 13 and 14. Here's the cause again. Remember, I told you each of these sections is set up the same way. So we have the call there, and the call is to Jerusalem and to Zion or Mount Zion. Praise the Lord. Praise your God. And in case you're wondering why, he tells us here in verses 13 and 14, tells us two different things. Let me go ahead and put these up there for you. In verses 13 and 14, he mentions two things, because of his protection and because of his provision. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. So there's the protection. Verse 13, he has strengthened the bars of your gates. That's symbolic, you know, the fact that they would have strong gates. If, and in fact, if they're just coming, if, if, this was written for a group of individuals coming back into Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah. If you were to go back and study the book of Nehemiah, you would find that the walls were completely destroyed and the gates that had been burned with fire. And so this would mean even more that he strengthens the bars of your gates. It's like, yeah, that's what I need him to do because we ain't even got gates. And so we need him to strengthen the bars of our gates. But he also, look at this, he has blessed your children within you. So he references the babies within them, has even protected the babies within them. He's blessed your children within you. And then the, the provision part, he makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. The protection could still be seen at the first part of verse 14. Obviously, he makes peace in your borders. And how fitting that is, especially for right now during this time, as Israel once again for the umpteenth time, finds themselves in the middle of a war once again. Knowing that, knowing what the scriptures teach, knowing that there will be peace in Jerusalem again, knowing that they will be successful during this war again, but knowing that the peace is provided by God, the peace that will, that will come after this war is not provided by Netanyahu or the IDF, or the Americans coming to the rescue, or anybody else. Any peace that's provided there is because of God. And then here's the provision part at the end of verse 14. And he fills you with the finest wheat. Isn't that cool? With the finest wheat. Remember the first miracle that Jesus performed? Anybody remember what that was? Anybody remember what the first miracle was that Jesus performed? What was it? Turning the water into wine, yes. And remember, the people at the party, what they said about the wine, they, they went to the host. You know, they went to the dad, and they're like, hey, man, this is, this is crazy. Like, you, you know, everybody else puts out their best wine first. They said, but you saved the best for last. What Jesus does, when once Jesus got involved in the winemaking process for the party, it became better than the original even. He always gives the best. He fills you with the finest wheat. You gotta keep that in mind, young ladies. Because the guys, you know, they come knocking, you know, and making promises and all the different things. You gotta make sure that you commit that choice to the Lord. Because the Lord wants to give you the finest. Maybe not necessarily the finest looking. <laughs> I know that's what you're hoping for, <laughs> but he knows what's best, and he'll bring you the finest if you let him do it. 
Now, if you go out and you pick your own, then it's going to be somebody that you picked. And you might not be, you know, the best choice of carrier, you know, the best, best person to be choosing that. Let the Lord do it. But he fills you with the finest wheat. That's his provision. He fills you with the finest wheat. All of us are going to sit down tomorrow and eat all kinds of good food. You know, whether, whether you've got the finest or the best turkey or biggest or, you know, regardless of what you, what you eat tomorrow still, it's the Lord providing. What a wonderful thing. But we want to praise him not only for his protection, for his provision, but also for his power over creation once again. Verse 15 down to verse 18. He sends out his command to the earth. His words run very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? Nobody can, right? I mean, he can, he can create cold that's so cold nobody can stand before it. Verse 18, he sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow when the waters flow. So his power over creation. And then finally, in verses 19 and 20, we're told there that he gives, or we want to praise him for his preferential treatment. He declares in verse 19, verses 19 and 20, preferential treatment. He declares his word to Jacob. That's another name for Israel, and they'll mention Israel here in just a minute. But he declares his word to Jacob. His statutes and his judgments, which we're learning on Sunday mornings, he declares those to Israel. Now, Jacob and Israel are the same individuals, same uh, same people, the, Isra uh, the, uh, the Israelites, but they've got uh, their name Jacob and they're also named Israel. I'll explain that and you know, that's for a different study, different time, but same people. But notice he declares his word to them, his statutes, his judgments. And then we're told in verse 20, he has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. In other words, what he's saying there as he ends is that it was the Israelites, originally God's people, that were given this preferential treatment specifically that they received God's word. Now, the good news is for you and I tonight, even though we're Gentiles, I know that we have at least one, uh, one Jew in here. I don't know if we have any others, but for the rest of us Gentiles, dirty Gentiles, we've been grafted in. And because of that, we, receive, we have the privilege of receiving his word also. What a privilege that is. Where would we be without God's word? What, what would instruct our lives? What would, we, what would we do? We'd have to go to Google every day, like, what should I do with my life? You know. But because we have his word, it instructs us. What a wonderful thing. And then he finishes with one final call. I won't put it up, but just know that it's in verse 20 right there at the end. Halal, praise the Lord. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. Uh, so you're encouraged to consider all of these things as the worship team comes up. And uh, as we begin to praise the Lord, you know, we, you know, we want to glorify him and be considering all of these things. Let me remind you.